Adam Crowley Show. Making my way downtown, walking fast, faces passing, I'm homebound. Should I go lower? Staring blankly ahead, just making my way, making a way through the crowd. On ESPN Pittsburgh. Is Dennis Rodman the GOAT? Dennis Rodman is maybe the best rebounder of the basketball in NBA history from the forward position. He was a two-time defensive player of the year. He led the league in rebounds per game in seven straight years. He was a five-time NBA champion. He didn't win as many rings as Russell. In fact, he won six less, but Bill Russell brokered less international peace talks. LeBron may have scored more points and might be considered the greatest of all time, but what about the intangibles? LeBron can't even get J.R. Smith to learn the time and score. Hell, his hand couldn't survive a whiteboard. Rodman survived numerous trips to North Korea. He got Kim Jong-un to sit down with Donald Trump. LeBron won three rings. Rodman won five. Sit the F down, Bron. Nice hairline. Kobe Bryant couldn't win without Shaq. Hell, they couldn't get along. Rodman dressed in drag and still helped win ships. And he brokered a peace deal with North Korea. Is LeBron a world-renowned diplomat? How about Kobe? Kareem? Magic? Sure, they've all had their moments of social importance, but... Have any been involved like this? Hell, forget about basketball. Have any players been this involved as diplomats in any sport? Did Babe Ruth take time off in the summer of 1919 to broker the signing of the Treaty of Versailles? I forget, did Wayne Gretzky help Ronald Reagan get the hostages back from Iran in 1981? Was Otto Graham involved in the Paris Peace Treaties of 1947? Didn't Derek Jeter oversee the transferring of the Panama Canal from the United States to Panamanian control in 1999? Of course he didn't. Of course they didn't. None of those jamokes have Rodman-sized balls. Not one of them. Rodman's on-the-court abilities in terms of rebounding were second to none. He's a proven winner with five rings. He's a basketball Hall of Famer. But his off-the-court abilities to negotiate peace between the United States and North Korea shoot him into the number one spot as far as I'm concerned in the conversation for who the greatest player in sports history is. It's Dennis friggin' Rodman. Marc-Andre Fleury's such a nice guy. We love him. Dennis Rodman flew to Korea multiple times. I'm not talking about nice. He's helping the Korean people. These starving, suffering North Korean people helped by Dennis Rodman. What you do, Marc-Andre Fleur? Oh, you build a playground. Oh, good for you. Oh, you build a playground. Oh, Sidney Crosby going to the Children's Hospital. Nice for you. Oh, Iowa Hawkeyes. Way to wave up at Children's Hospital. Oh, you're helping a lot of people. And you are. Not helping an entire country. Rodman did. Bringing down boards and breaking down barriers. 412-922-2874. Tweet me at underscore Adam Crowley. Crosby and Ovechkin are different, but I think that's what makes the rivalry as good as the rivalry now is. Sidney Crosby is the stoic captain of the Pittsburgh Penguins. Alexander Ovechkin is brash. He's a showboat. Crosby's not vocal. He's quiet. Not much of a quote, but he says all the right things, and he always treats people with respect. Ovechkin guaranteed that the Capitals would come back from being down 2-0 to the Columbus Blue Jackets. 
Sid was chugging Dasani at the Penn's Championship Parade. Ovechkin did a keg stand with the Stanley Cup. Crosby is a distributor who can score goals. Ovechkin scores goals but knows how to pass the puck. While Crosby's game can be flashy, it's his ability to do the little things that add up over a game and over the course of a season. All Ovechkin needs is one moment and a little space, and he'll make the most of it. Ovechkin looks like a bigger me when he takes his shirt off. Sidney Crosby looks like he eats kale for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Crosby eats, breathes, and sleeps hockey. Ovechkin sleeps, eats, and breathes life. He just happens to play hockey. Alex is Russian. Crosby's Canadian. They couldn't be more different. That's one of the reasons that this rivalry is as damn good as it is. Now, there are examples like the Ravens versus the Steelers playing the same way with good defense and physical domination, and that made that rivalry great because it was two teams doing the same thing, and the question was which team can do it better. But the Crosby-Ovechkin rivalry is beautiful because it's two of the three greatest players of this generation, and they contrast in style and in personality. Since Mario, the Penguins have been about grace, scoring goals, firewagon hockey. That's defined this town. Hockey fans here appreciate the game in a different way than they do in, say, Philadelphia. The Penguins are known for scoring titles. They're known for MVPs, Conn Smythe winners. The Flyers are known as the Broad Street Bullies. Two contrasting styles that clash. Hell, Peyton Manning's a very rich man, as is Tom Brady, but Peyton drives a pickup truck and sells cheap pizza. Tom Brady drives a Tesla and sells Rolex watches. When Peyton Manning gets dressed up, he looks like he's running for a Republican Congress seat, blue button-down, tucked into blue jeans. Tom Brady looks like a GQ mob. They're different. It adds layers to the rivalry. Magic and Bird. Rocky and Apollo Creed. Kobayashi and Joey Chestnut. Some of the best rivalries in sports are between individuals or organizations that don't align in terms of sensibilities or scores, skill sets, or both. Crosby and Ovechkin aren't like-minded. They don't treat the game the same way. They don't play the game the same way. They don't talk to the media the same way. And for me, that's what makes the rivalry great. 412-922-2874. Going to hear from Ray Fittipaldo coming up at 540. Talking about Antonio Brown's antics from earlier today. Crosby and Ovechkin, Penn's Caps, that rivalry has finally lived up to the hype. Finally! When both players entered the league and took it by storm, we were told that this would be like Magic and Bird. Two players that could dominate the league and sell to all the casual fans. All the masses are going to love hockey because Crosby and Ovechkin, they're going to play the game the right way. They're both going to be contenders perennially. They're both going to be trading scoring titles, and, well, scoring titles happen. But in 2009, when the Penguins and Capitals and Crosby and Ovechkin met in the second round, it was as good of a series as you can get until the seventh game. Three overtime games, the grade eight had dueling hat-tricks. It was glorious. It seemed like it would be the first of many meetings between the two teams. It seemed like both squads would get theirs and go back and forth winning championships. But in 2010, both the Capitals and the Penguins fell short of their goals as they both lost to Montreal and Yaroslav Halak. After that, neither team really held up their end of the bargain. The Capitals didn't make it out of the second round, and the Penguins only got as far as the conference final. That great rivalry that had so much promise in 2009 was dying on the vine. Sure, the teams met in the regular season, and the games were fierce and competitive, and Ovi would hit people, and Crosby would break their hearts, and Penguins fans would take over the steps in the Capitol, and it felt okay, but without playoff series, it wasn't the same. 
But the new Stanley Cup playoff format was the extra mile the league had to go to to brand the stars and sell the rivalry. Most notably, Crosby and Ovechkin. After not meeting in the playoffs for six seasons, these teams have now met for three seasons in a row. The winner of that series has gone on to win the Cup. The league did what it had to do to ensure that classic series like 2009 would have the opportunity to repeat itself. Go back a decade. Division teams met eight times in the regular season, and that made for great rivalries. But those teams weren't guaranteed to be playing in the playoffs. Now, the division games have been cut back in the regular season a little bit, but in the playoffs, they're playing more than ever. It's great for the game, and it's been great for this rivalry, which will now go down as one of the best in sports history, not just the NHL. When the careers of Crosby and Ovechkin are over, we're going to look back on the last three years with fond memories. Two of the game's all-time greats battling it out, sure, in the second round, but with the winner being the champion. Not only have they now bested one another, but the winner has gone on to finish the job. That makes it even that much better. Our friend Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News tweeted me today and made a good point about the seeding problems in the Stanley Cup playoffs, but when Sid and Ovi are done, will we think back to it being unfair that these great teams had to play each other in the second round every year, or will we be thinking about the classic series that came to be? I'm betting it's the latter. History is going to look back fondly on these two teams battling it out. My hockey fan kids won't be asking me why the two best teams in the league had to play in the second round every year. My kids are going to ask me about what it was like to see two of the best players of their generation go at it for six or seven games every time they met. That's a win for the league. Anytime we get to see these two men lead their teams against each other in the playoffs, it's a win for the league. Every time we get to see these two players play each other in the playoffs, it's a win for us, the hockey fans. The playoffs are always intense. It's my favorite slash least favorite thing to experience as a sports fan. The Penguins have played Ottawa in the second round. It was a bloodbath. The Penguins smacked the Rangers around in the second round in 2008. Would you rather see that or a classic between the Penguins and the Capitals? Nothing's got my blood pressure up like Caps Penguins. Thanks to the league, I believe we're in for a treat next year, too. See-ins in the second round. I asked this question on Twitter. June 12th, 2009. June 12th, 2016. The Penguins won the Cup. Which one was better? Got a bunch of tweets here. A lot of people saying 2009 because it popped the old cherry there. It had been so long since 1992, but I always say... That 2016 was validation, man. It was vindication, really. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, the perennial chokers, they could only win once. They're never going to live up to their dynastic reputation. Well, suck on these nuts. But I'll take your thoughts again at underscore Adam Crowley. Do we have to teach the children about England now? No, I said England, not the United States. Oh, this is England. This is England? Yeah, this is it. Oh, it's God Save the Queen. Yeah, it goes like this, though. We beat your ass in war, we get to take your tune. Yes! Mm -hmm. We take it and we make it our national anthem. Well, this isn't the national anthem. No, or the, you know what I mean, that other thing. The other song. Oh, man, you're more disrespectful than Colin Kaepernick! (laughs) How dare you! Ready for some fun facts about England? Oh, yeah. 
England is 74 times smaller than the United States. The highest temperature ever recorded in England was 101 degrees Fahrenheit. Hey, Adam, did you know that Queen Elizabeth II is a distant relative to Vlad the Impaler, the infamous Romanian ruler who we learned about earlier? Wow. Holy crap, I did not know that. Yeah. English people consume, this is probably obvious, more tea per capita than anybody else in the world. Two and a half times more than the Japanese. Hey, Adam, believe it or not, medieval football often led to injuries and death. At least 40 men drowned during the game while chasing the ball into the sea. Drowned. French was the official language of England for about 300 years. The English class system is not determined by money, but by one's background. Huh. Adam, did you know that during the Great Stink of 1858, London's River Thames stank so much from raw sewage thrown in by the Parliament that they had to close it? Fish and chips is not as much of a traditional English dish as chicken masala. That's probably because of the great stink of 1858. Stinks. British police do not carry guns except in emergencies. FYI, anytime I call the police, it is, by definition, an emergency. Hey, Adam, if you're in England and the pigs ate your crops, try the animal court. They've got one. <laughs> York was the first English city to become settled permanently by the Danish Vikings. Hey, Adam, did you know that the English tried to uh, make us, like, subservient and we kicked their ass? Kicked their ass. Right back to England. Do you know they like to wear wigs when doing things? They still do that? Ah, uh, yeah. I bet you they do. Yeah, I'm sure. Did you know that if you speak in a British accent, you sound pompous no matter what you're saying? Well, that's not true. Tom, send us to break here. Coming up next, Antonio Brand. I think I slipped some yinzer in there. Hey, Adam, British road signs, they can be pretty baffling. If you see the red ring of death, it usually means no vehicles except bicycles being pushed by pedestrians are allowed. They're baffling. Antonio Brown's a dingus. Right. Hello, Antonio. You dingus. We hear his comments and chastise him next. It's ESPN Pittsburgh. Paulo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette going to be joining us in about 17 minutes here on the Crowley Show for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. It's Dick Grotenay, former Duke player, current color analyst for the Pitt Basketball Network, also a former Major League Baseball MVP, great athlete, maybe the best athlete Pittsburgh has ever produced. That was a topic on Stan's show today. I'm not old like Stan, so I can't recall all of the athletes that have come from Pittsburgh. That's no slight to Stan. It came off bad in tone, but I meant that endearingly. Stan's seen a lot, therefore he is knowledgeable as all get out. Antonio Brown, not knowledgeable about anything, including the English language. He spoke to the media earlier on today. I've got some takes. Here's what AB had to say. Love practice, right? You, you hear all the time. Yeah. 
Well, it's a tough time, you know, the time we live in, you know, you start to think from the perspective of my kids, you know, the time I miss out from their lives, you know, obviously, you know, me being away, they're down in Florida. So, you know, I started to think what's important, you know, if I'm playing football to make a lot of money, or I'm playing football to take care of my family, you know, so I some of the decisions and things I think about. Maybe they don't come here every day. What I'm sorry. Did they, be not be, did they not begin here have any impact on that decision? I play with any quarterback. No matter who's here, I play with the Steelers. It's not one guy that I'm, you know, it's not one guy. But again, you guys write the stories. You know, uh, I got to wake up to the Google alerts. You guys, you know, constantly under the pressure. I can't go nowhere and work out by myself. Fans come meet me at the field. You know, I can't do nothing normal. You know, you guys write about me every day. My mom, my kids see it. So we have to deal with these type of things, you know. Uh, and I started to think to myself, am I really free? You know, I can't really express myself in this game. I can't really tell you guys how I feel. You guys make the pressure to put pressure on me all the time. Am I really free? You know, and I go to asking myself that in regards to taking away time from my kids and everything that's going on. So I had to get away to, you know, free my mind. What did you learn from that process? Well, I'm still under pressure. You know, you guys in my face asking me about not showing up to volunteer practice. You know, that's the world we live in, though. It was kind of funny though, wasn't it? You were talking about Le'Veon, saying he's. Nah, you guys, you guys paint me a picture to talk about Le'Veon. I, I'm not involved with Le'Veon business or his contract. You guys write about it and say, oh, AB says it show up. I just say the first rule of getting better is show up. I didn't say he got to show up. He got his own business. But that's why I go back to referring. You guys put the pressure on me all the time, in regards of life, in regards of everything, and, and we just supposed to take it. You know, that, that ain't that ain't freedom. Do you have any problem with Bruce Arians or Mike Tomlin based off your I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't have a problem with anyone. Uh, I just feel like as a player, you, you play this game so much, you, know, you never get a chance to really express yourself. You know, everyone's telling us to, you know, bottle yeah. everything up and don't say nothing. Yeah. And, you know, when I reflect on my career, you know, there's a lot of people, you know, that, that put a lot of pressure on me. And, you know, when I take time to reflect, you know, I reflect like, you know, guys who have made it hard on me for no reason. Man. <laughs> Made it hard on me for no reason. <sighs> One of my biggest issues with athletes are when they act as if the media is doing them wrong just solely out of the evil in our hearts. Like, I have some sort of joy. I take joy from ripping Antonio Brown on the airwaves. Like, I just make things up just so people get pissed at him. I don't do that. I suppose some media outlets do do things like that, and they hot take left and right, but I don't do that. I think most people don't. I think most people take what athletes say, things that come out of their mouths, and then utilize that for their narrative. I don't think that guys are just out there making stuff up. I don't think that Antonio Brown was cast as a bad guy because he's because we want him to be a bad guy. And I don't think A.B. is a bad guy, but Antonio Brown needs to, I think, take inventory of the words that are coming out of his mouth. I think it's important to know what you say as a human being. It's why I listened back to the show. Was I clear enough on this take? Did I excoriate this human being enough? You have to know what words are coming out of your mouth so that you know how to appropriately erect. Appropriately erect is what I was about to say. I'm not taking the inventory of the words that are coming out of my mouth. You need to be able to appropriately react. You're going to have to yank that one, Tom. You're going to have to pull it. You have to be able to appropriately react to what people say in regards to the words that came out of your mouth. Antonio Brown 
thought he had a point when he was talking about how the media made it a story about him not being at voluntary OTAs. Yes, the media did say it was a bigger deal for him to not be at voluntary OTAs, but the reason why the media said it was because of the way that he talked about Le'Veon Bell the first time he spoke to the media at OTAs. Yeah, we text. You know, I tell him how his tape's not that good, you know, how how he need to come out here and play with me, but, you know, all that don't matter. You know, he's got to take care of his business. How much did you feel, though, like the, the way that you handled things when you were trying to get a contract extension was maybe you can set an example for him and others and just in terms of being here, doing your job, and, and hoping that they'll take care of you? Or is, it, or is this a completely different circumstance? Well, the first rule of getting better is showing up. You know, you can't make anything better without showing up. So, you know, I think if you show up, you know what I mean, make everyone understand where you want to be. You want to be here for not this this year, for years to come. You know, come out here and show up. You know, show up and get better and show guys you're serious. Show guys you're serious. Come here and show up. And then he leaves. That's why people were questioning him. That's why he looks like a hypocrite. Not because the media wants him to look like a hypocrite, but because he is. Show up. The only way to get better is to show up. So what was Antonio Brown trying to get better at? Being a father? Okay, great. But that's what he's doing whenever he doesn't show up is allowing his motives to be questioned. Why isn't A.B. here after he says that you should be here if you want to get better? Why isn't A.B. here if Le'Veon Bell should be here, according to Antonio Brown? Man, he got that foot all up in his mouth. All up in his mouth. Antonio Brown also talked about freedom. Don't have any freedom. Is there any player in the history of the Steelers that has been allowed to do what he wants to do more than Antonio Brown? I mean, maybe Ben Roethlisberger, because he gets away with saying whatever the hell he wants to on his radio show before the Mike Tomlin press conference, and he gets to have his own narratives, drive his own points home. But Antonio Brown's filming his teammates in a locker room. Antonio Brown throws a Gatorade cooler on the field. Antonio Brown, as good of a player as he is, is a distraction, and he gets away with all of it because he is so damn good at football. When I talk about freedom... Man, Antonio, you have to realize that the things you put out there on social media are going to be consumed by the masses. He's got hundreds of thousands, if not millions, of followers on social media, and when you post that you're working out somewhere that's public, they're going to know where you are. That's not the media's fault. That's social media's fault. But it's what you're posting on social media that takes your freedom away. Man, as much as I love talking about this football team, and it is maybe the best football team in the history of ever to cover, maybe other than the Miami University Hurricanes that were winning all those championships, I am sick and tired of having to talk about them. Man, they are so thoroughly unlikable, and I try. I root for the Steelers to win. Of course I do. I'm Pittsburgh Brewing and bread. I'm a tennis player. I'm Pittsburgh Bjorn. I'm Pittsburgh born and bred, baby. So I care about this team. I want this team to win. It's more fun when they win. When Heinz Field is jam-packed, 68,000 screaming ingrate yinzers, all wearing black when it's the middle of friggin' January, that's when football's the most fun. My favorite Steelers memory of all time is Troy Polamalu returning that interception against the Ravens back for a touchdown in the AFC Championship game. It's better when the team is better. But this team's really good, and they know they're really good, and they act smug as all get out about it, and apart from that, they're just not at all likable. And maybe it's not apart from that. Maybe it's why they're so damn unlikable.
I mean, James Harrison wouldn't get enough playing time, so he falls asleep in meetings. Gets himself shipped out of town. Martavis Bryant wants to get traded. Eventually does get traded. I mean, the list goes on and on and on of all the drama that befell this team last year. And I suppose that's not even the right phrasing. He didn't befall the team. It's the team's own creation. I can't think of a team that's this good in any sport that wasn't respected by its own fans the way that this team at times is not respected by its fans. I mean, Mike Mitchell's mouthing off, and to the Steelers and Kevin Colbert's credit, they've tried to get away from those guys. Mike Mitchell's not here anymore. James Harrison's not here anymore. They ship Mike, uh, pardon me, they ship Martavis Bryant out of town. But this team, they talk, they look ahead, they're worried about contracts. And I'm somebody who usually will respect a player's rights over the rights of a team. I will usually take the player's side. Doesn't mean I'm going to like a player more than the team. Doesn't mean I'm going to like Phil Kessel more than I like the Pittsburgh Penguins. But I'm going to respect their attempt at earning a living. But this team makes that hard. As much as I want to like Le'Veon Bell, it's really hard because he plays the victim. As much as I want to like Antonio Brown, he just played the victim there. As much as I want to like the guy who's slanging around touchdown passes, the greatest quarterback in a franchise that had a quarterback that won four championships, as much as I want to like that guy, I can't because he's such a prick face. Because he's always trying to drive the narrative. There are other stuff in Ben's past as well we are all well aware of. Not a likable bunch. I can't think of a team that's won as much as these Steelers have that is this unlikable. Now, those Miami teams, they were unlikable to everyone else except for Miami fans. Miami fans had to love those players. Everyone else thought they were rubbing their noses in it. But what's a team that wins as much as these Steelers do that is not loved by the fans? And maybe I'm generalizing to an extent. Steelers Nation is loud and proud. The Steelers are always going to be number one. But what's a team that has stars the caliber that the Steelers have that isn't respected the way that the Steelers are? Antonio Brown is the best wide receiver in football. He's one of the best football players I've ever seen, and yet we can't stand him. At least the people who have any sense can't stand him. Le'Veon Bell, one of the best running backs I've ever seen, had a year that I've never seen a running back have before, and yet I can't stand the MFR. It's rare. It's got to be 13 wins last season, 45 over the last four, and yet I can't stand them and want them to win all at the same time. My brain doesn't know what to do with these Pittsburgh Steelers. It wants me to hate them. It wants me to love them. It's rare. Todd Haley, he's gone now, but my God, the freaking offensive coordinator's out partying, bust his pelvis. It makes you want to like them, makes you want to hate them. It's rare. 412-922-2874. We'll ask Ray Fittipaldo about that and some other storylines going on at Steelers Minicamp because it's the great unsponsored football segment right around the corner filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. Oh, shoot. First, got to get to Panama. The reason we're doing this, we're going group by group through the World Cup. And we're going to advance the team that gets the most votes on my Twitter account at underscore Adam Crowley. And we're going to pick a team to root for in this 2000. And 18 World Cup. We are now on Panama. 
Do you know the earliest recorded mention of the canal that ran through Panama was made by Charles V, King of Spain and Holy Roman Empire in 1534? A sea-level canal system was not feasible in Panama due to its nine-month-long rainy season. Hey, Adam, did you know that Tagal nut carvings of animals are popular with tourists in Panama? You know what? I'd always heard that. It's a fact. A nine-month-long rainy season? The hell would anyone want to live in Panama? The United States took over the initial construction from the French in 1904 of the Panama Canal and completed the canal ten years later. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. That's my bad. You go ahead. No, that's my bad. It officially opened on my anniversary, August 15th, 1914, with U.S. in control of the canal zone. I was just going to say that uh, Panama is one of the major operating hubs of the Sinaloa cartel. It has its origins back to the Medellin cartel, back to Noriega, who was a former president and general in the country. Drugs? Drugs. Drugs. South American drugs. Christopher Columbus. What happened? Cocaine. Oh. Christopher Columbus visited in 1502, and then Balboa arrived to explore the area in 1513. Rocky. So in 1502, he sailed the ocean blue, too? When Central America revolted against Spain in 1821, Panama joined the already independent country of Colombia. That's all I got on Panama. There's not much on Panama. Nah, it's not much. They got a canal. Yeah. I mean, three months to do stuff because the rainy season's nine months long. If, if you're into cocaine and canals, Panama's the place for you. That's all you need to know. On second thought, we should be rooting for Panama. The canal's a big line. Woohoo! Coming up next, Ray Fittipaldo for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. It's a Crowley show. It is June 12, 2018. That is the day before my wife's 28th birthday. She's going to be older than me. She's going to be a cougar. Happy birthday. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. What are you getting her? I can't say it on the air. Candles? No, I do better than that. Actually, she's not listening right now. Oh, wait a second. No, don't risk it. She gets out early on. You'll tell us. Tuesdays. No, here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen. I'll tell you tomorrow. And then we can evaluate whether or not the gifts were good. Oh. Yeah. The reason behind me saying the date wasn't to shout out my wife, although it was very nice of me to do that, and I should get street cred and points from her for doing so. The Penguins won the Cup in 2009 and in 2016 on June 12th. So I asked on Twitter, which experience meant more to you, Penns fan? Tripp says, tough question. For me, it was 2016 because going into December of that season, there were doubts we'd ever see a Cup without that core again. I couldn't agree more. Crosby and Malkin and Latang and that whole group of characters. They were actually down three games to two to Tampa Bay in the Eastern Conference Final at one point, and I thought, oh, damn, they're never going to win it again. I was driving in to do the Penguins report at the time, and I had a tear trickling down my face. They're not going to win this thing. They're never going to win it again. It was vindication. But we'll get to that coming up in about 14 minutes here on the Crowley Show. Now it's time for the... Great football segment we do. And 
And now it's time for the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun. Brought to you by To Be Determined. And joining me now in the great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined, it's Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. Ray, how are you today, buddy? I'm good, Adam. Anything interesting happened down at the Steelers today? Well, you tell me, because I could not understand what the hell Antonio Brown was saying. In fact, Ray, we've been talking today about what a great football team it is the Steelers have. They've won 45 games over the last four years. They won 13 games last year. And yet they try their hardest to make themselves very unlikable, don't they? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I don't know where that that came from today. Um, but it was just a very strange situation. Um, it was all, I mean, Adam, I, you know, we spend, during the season, we spend Fridays with Antonio Brown. That's the only day of the week that he speaks. And really, it's, it's after the NFL news cycle for that week is over. So he was talking today about us covering him too much and writing about him too much, I think we write fewer stories about Antonio Brown than most stars because of that, not to mention the most fact, not to mention that on most Fridays, a lot of what he says is really gibberish. So today was the first time that we really got to see him speak his mind, what was on his mind. If he's like this all the time now, hey, maybe I will write about him more, and then he's going to be all the more upset with me. Yeah, he's going to keep getting offended by you guys writing about him, and he's going to keep yelling and screaming and throwing his takes out there, and it's going to become a vicious cycle. I don't think this was what Antonio Brown had in mind today, the reaction that he's gotten from the statements that he made. Uh, He seemed to feel like he was going to act as if the media portrayed him in a bad light, and, well, I think he's done a lot of this to himself. Case in point, Le'Veon Bell, he's talking about showing up every day means that you're trying to get better, and when you're not showing up, you're not trying to get better. Well, then he didn't show up for eight OTAs. How can that be anybody else's fault but Antonio Brown's? Yeah, I mean, I was listening to your show on the way home, Adam, and they were his words. I mean, he said today that, you know, those words were misinterpreted, but I don't know how you can misinterpret those words. He said he should show up and work and show that he wants to be there. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's an interesting storyline, but... Um, to your point, it's probably another distraction that this team can do without. Do you think it means anything for him not to be there, for Ben Roethlisberger not to have been there before it was mandatory? No, I don't think so. I actually, uh, you know, I actually tend to look at that um, the way some people do. It, it was good to see what the young guys can do. Um, Mason Rudolph, Landry Jones, Josh Dodds got a ton of work. You know, for those OTAs when Ben was not there. And the same goes for the receivers. We got to see a lot of James Washington. They're counting on him this year without uh, Martavis Bryant coming back. Uh, Marcus Tucker, a, a young guy who's trying to replace Eli Rogers. So, um, you know, in, in that realm, I tend to look on the bright side. I thought that was a perfect opportunity for some young guys to get some work in a time where this is the one thing that Antonio Brown said was true today. They are voluntary workouts. These guys, these veterans, do not have to be there. Only today, tomorrow, and Thursday, mandatory minicamp. That's the only time during the offseason where they have to be there. Yeah, I'll agree with that, too. Ray Fittipaldo of the Post-Gazette joining us here on the Crowley Show. Does Mike Tomlin care if they're there or not? Again, knowing that they are voluntary, would he prefer them there, or is he giving them the pass? 
Well, I think for, for, for stars like Roethlisberger and Antonio Brown, I think he knows that they're professionals. Uh, they have that special chemistry. They're gonna, they're gonna make it work somehow. They're, they're not gonna, uh, it's not gonna be a negative for them not to be together for, for a couple of weeks in, in, in May and June. So I don't think that Mike Tomlin needs them there, but you know, when he speaks about these OTAs and the veterans, I think he wants his veterans there um, because I think, it, you know, he believes it's a, it's a, a team-building opportunity. Um, these teams wouldn't be so, so gung-ho about having them if they didn't think they were important. So it's a little bit of a, a touchy situation for him. I think he realizes that he doesn't need his stars there, but um, they have these on the agenda, on the schedule for a reason, and I, I think that, you know, they believe that uh, this gets the team better. Ray, this is kind of an open-ended question, but if the defense is better this year, if the defense helps this team become Super Bowl caliber, what will they have had to have done right? What will have had to have changed? Well, I think the way they're going to devise their scheme with, you know, I I think we are going to see more defensive backs, more safeties involved. If that can be sort of the elixir to what has ailed them, that could be something we're talking about in January. Uh, or February after this season because, as we all know, they targeted uh, some inside linebackers in the draft. They weren't there when they drafted. They couldn't trade up to get them. And they didn't believe that any of the other inside backers available would help them. So they went to to sort of plan B. Um, I think they believe in plan B. They really like Terrell Edmonds. And now it's all going to be about, you know, how do they deploy these guys um, in training camp? And in the preseason games, you know, I, I think we're going to get a better idea of how they're going to go about putting this 2018 defense together. Um, I think we have a little bit of an idea right now. I just don't think we have the full idea of how that's going to work. You think James Washington can give the Steelers what Martavis Bryant gave them last year? Yeah, it's interesting. I talked to Daryl Drake, the new receivers coach today, very high on James Washington. Uh, called him a great young man says he's got a great work ethic about him. Um, he's really excited to be able to work with him. Um, and he didn't back down from what Kevin Colbert and Mike Tomlin said on the night that they drafted him. Um, he said he's going to have to play right away. He's trying to get him ready as best as he can. He knows he's up against it a little bit. Um, but they are counting on him to be that number three receiver this year. And this is going to be a very important um you know, week here to this week for, for James Washington, but, you know, more importantly, all of training camp in late July and August and then the preseason games, of course. Very important that he's be able to get up to speed, learn that playbook, and make some plays because the Steelers are counting on him very, very much. Last thing here for you, Ray. I said yesterday that the Steelers, well, they did beat up on the teams they were supposed to beat up on last year, largely. And by beat up, I mean beat them. They didn't beat up on them enough. Uh, they didn't drub them, and I think that some bad habits can be formed over the course of a season if you are playing down to your competition. I think that be good for them if they were able to actually throttle some of the teams they're supposed to this year. Yeah, and look how many games came down to a last-minute field goal. I mean, you're not going to be as fortunate um, like that every single year. So, yeah, I, I think they have to put their foot down uh, on some teams' throats when they have the opportunity uh, you can't be letting Green Bay with with a backup quarterback hang around. 
You can't be letting bad Browns teams hang around. Um, yeah, I, I think the Steelers need to – I think they need for their offense to, to sort of pick things up early and to be really good all season long. And I think it's going to be some time for that defense. But I think the hope is maybe by, by midseason they got to figure it out. Maybe the defense can, can sort of give them a late-season lift. But I, I agree with you. I, I don't think they can afford – uh, to be in as many close games next year because, um, you know, there's only so many times that Chris Boswell and that offense are going to be able to build them out. Awesome stuff as always, Ray. Appreciate the time, buddy. All right, Adam. Talk to you later. Appreciate it. You be good. We appreciate you. That he, There he was. Ray Fittipaldo of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette. I already know the topic for tomorrow's great unsponsored football segment filled with knowledge and fun brought to you by To Be Determined. You guys want to hear it? Give us a little taste. You hear from Colin Cowherd, and you hear from Terry Bradshaw and others, Mark Madden, that the Steelers, they play down to their competition, and this is the reason why Mike Tomlin isn't a great coach. I think Mike Tomlin is a good coach, but if there's one thing that he hasn't done a good enough job of, it's having a defense that's capable. Now, they won the Super Bowl in 2008 with a great defense, but Mike Tomlin was a defensive coordinator And Ray Fittipaldo just said something that we say every year. The offense at the beginning of the year has got to be able to carry him. By the end of the year, the defense should be playing better. We've said it for the last five years. That'll be your subject. And I'm fired up about it. Coming up next. Antonio Brown being a dink. And what was more meaningful for you? 2009? Penguins Championship? 2016. It's a Crowley Show. You use every club in your bag on the meticulously maintained Seven Springs and Hidden Valley golf courses. These mountaintop courses take maximum advantage of the mountain vistas of the Laurel Highlands. Play two dynamic courses that are each beginner-friendly, yet present a challenging round to the advanced golfer. The ultimate Laurel Highlands golf getaway is back. Play both Seven Springs and Hidden Valley. One and two-night lodging packages at Seven Springs are available. For more information, visit the number 7springs.com. Seven Springs, your headquarters for outdoor fun. With the weird looks, Tom. I don't know what you're talking about. The weird look here. Wembley Stadium! Quidditch! Haggis! Hogwarts! Harry! Hermione! Did you find the snitch? Put your crimpets in the boot! <laughs> On the lift! Dumbledore! Blur- 